Here's a question. Who are the people who really impress you? Think it through. Who are people that really grab your attention and impress you? Right, have you all got some thinking done there? Well, here's some people from my list. Jurgen Klopp, very impressive, leading Liverpool to glory, maybe. Uh, David Attenborough, anyone impressed by David Attenborough? He is in his 90s, and he is incredibly influential in shaking up people's thinking about the natural world. By James Corden, anyone impressed by James Corden? Anyone know who he is? You do? Okay. Quite an incredible talent. What about uh, Leo Varadkar? Anyone impressed by him? Bit? A little bit? Okay. Theresa May? Anyone impressed by her resilience? Incredible. Okay, there are lots of people in every sphere, maybe, that catch our attention and impress us. What about people who impress you here at Fitzroy? Who has caught your attention here? There are some that caught my attention. Roberta Clotworthy and her amazing, awesome weekly publications. Incredible. Or maybe it's Neville and his amazing puppet shows and many other incredible things that he brings into the life of this church. Or maybe it's Some of the band members, Gary or Dave, some of the guys who are invested in excellence and taking creativity and their passion for the blues, for music, and bringing that into a place where it is used to lead God's people in worship. Maybe it's Steve and his heart for reconciliation, putting himself out there on the front line, seeking to be a catalyst in this city and beyond. What about the ideas in life that have grabbed your imagination? Okay, what about the big ideas? Anything has grabbed people's attention? I was asking this to some of the students, and they were saying, veganism has really grabbed their attention. Maybe it's justice issues has grabbed you. Maybe this good old-fashioned unionism, finding certainty in days of uncertainty. Maybe for some of us who take our Presbyterianism seriously, Calvinism might be one that grabs our attention. Anyone that takes Presbyterianism seriously, I find a very interesting fact about being Presbyterian. Did you know that an anagram of Presbyterian is in fact Britney Spears. So I don't know how useful that is or significant is, but there you go. What about those of us who are grabbed by just shopping in Victoria Square? Maybe that's a lot more of us than we care to admit. You know, whenever I ask students that I work with these types of questions, some have got instant responses that they can give without even thinking. But the most of them find that kind of thinking tricky. They're very evidently influenced, but they aren't always certain about what those strong shaping influences are in their lives. 
I think the reality is that we are wired as humans to look for someone or something to follow. And to a greater or lesser extent, maybe even to worship. We love a dynamic leader who inspires and shapes our values. We love to be part of something. We seek significance in belonging to a group. You know, whenever you are with anyone from the diversity of this global family that we live in, and you take time to have conversations, and I have very often opportunities to have chats with young people who have come to Queen's to study in my role as chaplain up in the university. And whenever you chat, then you're exposed to cultures where following and conforming is demanded of all the citizens of those places. About a sixth of all humanity live in strict communist societies that still require obedience. Obedience in family planning in some places. Obedience in political thinking and expression. Obedience in your economic outlook, in your social interactions. A fifth of the global population live in nations where there is the strong influence of Islam. Again, requiring conformity, obedience in belief, in diet, in the rhythm of your week, in your dress, on social conventions. I love hearing stories of Safara going to India, a predominantly Hindu country. But there you have conformity to the caste system, to the rituals designed to move yourself up that tight hierarchy of value and opportunity. And the reality is that the majority of the world lives in places where conformity is required of them. Now, life here is different in a lot of ways to those places I've just described. We like to think that we are free, free to choose where and how we're going to study and work, free to decide where to live, if to marry, who to marry, how many kids we want, how long we are going to spend at work, what we believe, how we use our time, free, freedom. That is something we hold on to tightly. And we imagine ourselves to be free. But are we really free in the way that we imagine? Even as Christians, are we free to follow Christ the way that we would love to? Well, if you observe each other, and I think if you're honest with yourself, I don't think that we can say that we are always finding ourselves in that place of freedom. And if we do, we find it sometimes not easy at all. We conform to a whole pile of influences, many of which have exactly the opposite effect to freedom that we desire. And many of those influences tie us up in unhelpful ways. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are committed to following him, 
We have got to be radically different. There's no alternative. We've got to be different in the way that we think about ourselves. The way we think about God, different. The way we think about other people, different. The way that we act, different. The way that we talk, different. The way that we work, different. The way that we forgive, different. The way that we give to others, different. The way that we use our time, that's got to be different. The way that we disagree with others, that's different. The way that we pursue our sex drives, that's got to be different. The way that we treat our spouse, our kids, our parents, different. The way that we worship, different. The way that we vote, different. The way that we invest, different. It's all different. When you start following Jesus, you become a new creation. The old is gone and is going. The new has come and is coming. You are redeemed, but you're also being transformed into his likeness. And the problem is that we aren't, whenever we follow the Lord, magically teleported out to paradise to live a blessed life eating cream cheese and listening to Michael Buble for all eternity. No, sadly, or maybe not, we remain here to live, serve, and witness in this world. But while we are here, We risk becoming contaminated by the world. That's the reality of being part of this place where we are. And there's two dangerous ways that we can respond to this risk. We can either choose to play it safe or we can play it fast and loose. Play it safe by retreating into our safe communities, putting up barriers to protect, to buffer, to insulate safe in our light-proof boxes, safe inside our sealed salt shakers, safe but invisible, safe but irrelevant, safe but disobedient. So do we go out and then blend instead into the societies that we inhabit? Do we integrate fully? Do we adopt the same standards of business, of morality, of honesty, of values, of prejudice, of generosity, of love? Do we risk losing our radical distinctiveness? If we do, our spiritual life dies. So that is not the answer either. This is not what we are called to. When Jesus invites us to follow him, there is a profound change. We move. We move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's one of the main themes of the whole Bible. Namely that God is calling out a people for himself and is summoning us to be different from everyone else. Be holy, he says repeatedly to us 
his people. To his people through all ages. Be holy because I am holy. Let's learn Leviticus 11 and 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. And it's a foundational theme recurring in all four parts of the main sections of Scripture. It's there in the law, it's there in the prophets, in the teaching of Jesus, in the teaching of the apostles. Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, don't be like them. But maybe the most well-known is the instruction of Paul that we heard read from Romans earlier on. Writing to the Christian disciples in Rome, in the capital of the world, capital of commerce, of culture, of power, the personality cult of the leader was strong, persecution of anyone who didn't fit in. There was superiority and servitude, entertainment on tap and extremes of wealth and poverty. And he writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are neither to seek to preserve our holiness by escaping the world, nor to sacrifice our holiness by conforming to the world. Escapism and conformism are both forbidden to us. So if I asked you for powerful examples here where we are of conforming agendas, what things would you identify in our culture? Communism is not strong. Islam is not strong. Hinduism is not strong. But there are very strong forces at work among us. Pluralism. Shouts from popular media infiltrating our mind. It is the enlightened view of the jet set saying every ism has its own validity and is equally worthy of respect. It stands against Christian arrogance. How can you be the holders of truth? It proclaims that there is nothing unique about Jesus, that he is not the way, not the truth, not the life. And it is insidious. Righteous rage and superiority are not the way, however, to respond to this. We need to hold to the truth. But our attitude must be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Humble, but confident that Jesus is not just great amongst many greats. Jesus is the one and only. I think for the students that I work with, this is an incredibly powerful force at work. But also for all of us who seek to engage in conversations of depth with others. Materialism. What a strong force at work. It's never been in so much evidence. The proliferation of white vans coming back and forwards into the car park at Derry Volgi is incredible. 
been down to Queen's Elms reception. Half of that reception building has been turned into a depot for Amazon and ASOS packages. There's a preoccupation with material things. That's a burden in our attics. We had to move house recently. It was unbelievable what we had accumulated in 20 years of living in the same place. Our wardrobes were bulging. Our cupboards overflowing. Our sheds had multiplied in order to hold everything that had been gathered. Jesus reminds people again and again, do not store up treasure on earth. The tyranny of debt, the disease of discontent, the appetite that is never satisfied, so often ravaging the world and exploiting the poorest. Watch out and guard yourselves against materialism. What about relativism? Is there truth? Is there right and wrong? Whenever we've been working up at Derry Hall, we've been reading on this little book here. The students have been encouraged to buy it. Really worthwhile getting a hold of it. Written by a, a, a hero of the faith of years gone by, a man called John Stott, the radical disciple. I'm sure some of you have come across his work, his readings. So worthwhile getting your head in it. This is one of the things he talks about whenever he looks at relativism. It all depends on where you are. It all depends on who you are. It all depends on what you feel. It all depends on how you feel. It all depends on how you're raised. It all depends on what is praised. What's right today is wrong tomorrow. Joy in France and England's sorrow. It all depends on point of view, Australia or Timbuktu. In Rome, do as the Romans do. If tastes just happen to agree, then you have morality. But when there is conflicting trend, it all depends. It all depends. Disciples of Jesus, we have got to disagree with this. There's no place, certainly for hard or harsh rigidity. But Jesus is our Lord and teacher. He still says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We need to grapple collectively and corporately with what the word of God says into the ever-expanding ethical maze through the lens of Jesus. We need to remember that if we love him, we will keep his commands. We need to remember he is the truth. And here's the last one. Narcissism. Has there ever been a generation who is more obsessed with self? It's estimated that each of us in our lifetime will take 25,000 selfies. We will preen and pucker up. We will filter and beautify we will post and boast. 259 people in the last five years have been recorded as selfieing themselves to death, trying to get the perfect image, falling under trains, falling off cliffs, falling into waterfalls and dying. We snap me and my breakfast 
me and my commute, me and my beautiful family, me and my achievements, me and my amazing life. Here's the greatest commandment that Jesus gives. Love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind, with all your being. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no third commandment about loving ourselves. Over and against the challenge of pluralism, we are to be a community of truth, standing up for the uniqueness of Christ over the challenge of materialism, community of simplicity, and pilgrimage over and against the challenge of materialism, a community of obedience over and against the challenge of narcissism. We are to be a community of love. We are to be like Christ, conformed to the image of God's Son. And how do we do that? As we read in Romans 11, very often whenever I read my Bible and I read it on the app, I don't go to the actual written format in the Bible. And I miss out on what goes before and sometimes what goes after. I go straight to the passage I'm interested in. I'm so thankful that we heard in our passage read not just that passage about being a living sacrifice, not being conformed, but being transformed. Because at the very beginning of our reading, we capture Paul's heart. We hear him talk through the whole start of Romans about this incredible gospel. And he sums it up just before he gets to the part that we're interested in by saying, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? He's caught up in this ecstasy of knowing the Lord. For him, from him, and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We need to be falling in love with the Lord constantly. Finding his love to be new every morning. The most frequent imperative of the Bible is to remember, to tell ourselves the old, old story of Jesus and his love, to remind ourselves of the gospel. We once walked in darkness, but we have seen a great light. We were those living in the land of deep darkness, but a light has dawned on us. The scandalous forgiveness of Jesus, Emmanuel. God has come among us. God, the Son, is given, and the government is on his shoulders. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Church, we need to constantly remind ourselves that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. His faithfulness is great beyond all measure. We need to invite the Spirit of God to fill us to overflowing with the power to live, being rooted and established in love, that we have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high 
and how deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's how we do it. That's how we find ourselves no longer conforming. That's when we find transformation beginning. Church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. He's in the business of transforming our lives. Don't be conformed to all that other stuff that pulls, that shapes, that seeks to dominate. Stand in the knowledge of that love of God and allow his spirit to do his work in us every day. Amen.